Brothers and sisters in Christ, I say that especially intentionally uh, this, uh, this afternoon. I address you as brothers and sisters, uh, and it is especially appro- appropriate this afternoon because we're dealing with uh, a passage of Scripture that calls the church to come together as the family of believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus makes this statement in the, in the last verse of this passage. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The church is the gathering of those who do the will of God, knowing that God's will is to repent of sin and to look to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of sin. The church is the gathering of those who do God's will so to be brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You might recall from before, it's been a a month now about that, uh, you you might recall that uh, in this one passage there are two stories going on. It's kind of an interesting way that uh, Mark writes his gospel um, we see this a lot in our own day. In uh, uh, if you watch sitcoms or movies, there'll be several stories going on, um, and it, it breaks back and forth between uh, the different uh, the different uh, thematic uh, lines of uh, of storytelling uh, within the episode. So that's what, really what's happening here. Mark is telling us almost two stories. Of course, it's all one story under the umbrella of Christ's ministry, but there are two episodes, there are two things going on uh, within this passage. The first is then interrupted by the second, and, uh, and with the conclusion of the second, the first is then rejoined and, uh, and brought to its conclusion. But the thing that uh, ties together the, the, the two uh, the two stories is that each story is a, a specific uh, uh, accusation being brought against our Lord. And, uh, and in, as he was known to do, Jesus used the occasion of each accusation being brought against him to teach a wise lesson. Earlier, we dealt with the intervening story in which the teachers of the law, having come from Jerusalem, accused Jesus of being possessed by Satan and and of using the power of the evil one to cast out the evil one. In his response, Jesus displays uh, his great wisdom, not only by refuting their, their accusation, but by turning their accusation back upon their own heads. By their accusation, the the teachers of the law were revealing their own alliance and collaboration with the evil one. Even more, they were blaspheming against the Holy Spirit by attributing the Spirit's work to the power of Satan They were, in essence, referring to the Holy Spirit as an evil spirit. And so Jesus warns them that 
All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will, will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin, says Jesus. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will, will not be forgiven because it is a matter of, of gross unbelief in the face of the very miracles of Jesus that were done to instill faith in a sinner's heart. Jesus was saying that, uh, that when people reject him on the basis of his claims, they, they might still be forgiven. They might still come to faith. But when they reject him on the basis of the clear evidence of his miracles done by the Spirit, what hope is left for them when they have displayed such rebellion, such foolishness, such unbelief by attributing to Satan, the power of the Holy Spirit displayed in the miracles of Jesus. It's a reminder for us as well, of course, that the miracles of Jesus are given to us on purpose. The miracles of Jesus are given to us not simply to show us miracles, but to give weight and authority to what Jesus was teaching and the claims that he that he made about himself. So often the, the church starts to think that, uh, you know, that we have to devise uh, ways to convince people to believe in Jesus. We have to you know, maybe have the right lighting, maybe a fog machine, maybe uh, the right music in order to convince people to believe in Jesus. But here is a story to teach us the true depth of sin in the heart of fallen man. Here's a story to teach us the true depth of sin in our hearts without, except for the regenerating grace of God in Christ. Left to ourselves, we, uh, we would rather attribute good uh, to the evil one than to receive in faith uh, the Savior whom God has sent. So is there, is there no hope then? Well, indeed, there is a great hope for sinners, but non, not one ounce of that hope lies within the sinner. It, it's all of God. It's monergistic, as we say. Uh, it, it is all of God, for He is the God who saves sinners by the preaching of His powerful Word. I hope that Word is, is, is powerful in our hearts even now. Powerful by the sovereign work of his Holy Spirit. Well, all of this by way of review um, and to lead us into a consideration of the other story in this passage and the other accusation brought against Jesus because even Jesus' family, even Jesus' family did not believe in him, at least not at this point. Uh, Instead, verse 21 of uh, Mark 3 says, When Jesus' family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, it says. In the, in, in the ESV it says they went to seize him. You know, you, you almost get the picture of, the, of, the, uh, of, of that special coat that they put on someone who is, who is out of their mind, a, a straitjacket, I think they, they call it. Uh, they went to seize him, to take charge of him, for they said... He's out of his mind. 
Apparently they had heard the news of Jesus, as most people had. Um, Evidently they had heard, as verse 1 even reports, that Jesus was causing such a stir that that such crowds were, were swarming to him that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. It's the picture of a, a good mom, right? So if you're, if you're grown up and you've left the house and you come back home again, what does your mom ask you? Uh, have you are you eating well? Do, do you need something to eat? Let me fix something for you. <laughs> so, so here uh, there's the suspicion that Jesus and his disciples were not taking care of themselves. And so Jesus' family came uh, to see if they could intervene and if they could provide uh, what, is needed, what is needed because apparently Jesus was out of his mind. We might recall from, from uh, John 4 uh, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman by the well. Uh, and, and there the disciples came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, eat something. Uh, and Jesus answered them by saying, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And when they, when they pressed him further, he answered quite plainly and profoundly, uh, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus had not come simply to eat. We're not alive simply to fill our bellies several times a day. And, and this is not, of course, the, to deny the full humanity of Jesus. He obviously needed to eat like any other man. But Jesus didn't live for his stomach. He came with a very different set of values and emphases, a, a very different perspective, one that we're called to take as well a different perspective on what was of chief importance in life. And it was exactly because of that different set of values, that lack of primary uh, concern, it was exactly because of, of this that Jesus was accused of being out of his mind. And the same is true in our own day. People look at us and they say, you're out of your mind. What are you doing? You've only got 60, 70, 80 years of, of, of life. Why aren't you living it up? Why aren't you doing your own thing? Why aren't you gr- getting, grabbing, and, 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 and possessing all the, the possible pleasure that you, that you can? Well, it's exactly because of this that Jesus was accused of, of being out of his mind, even by his own family. And do we not pick up our crosses and, and follow Jesus along this same road? Those who are faithful to God in doing his will, both by repenting of sin and believing in Christ, those who are faithful to God will be will be accused of being unreasonable. And that's the nicest word they might use. You're being unreasonable. You're, you're, you're out of your mind. You're not being rational, says the world, first of all to Jesus, but also to each of those who would follow him. 
Well, such was the experience of, uh, if you think about it, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Such was the uh, experience of, uh, of a young Christian in John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. In the opening pa- uh, pages, the account is given of uh, uh, Christian's great distress and, and, and how he finally could not keep from telling his own family and, uh, of the great conviction of sin that was upon his soul. And, and bon, Bunyan writes, I want to just quote a little bit of it. He writes, uh, at this his relations were sore amazed. Uh, not that they believed what he said to them was true, but because they thought, he, uh, they thought that some frenzy, uh, some frenzy distemper had got into his head. Therefore, in drawing towards night, uh, they, uh, they hoping that sleep might settle his brain, um, uh, with all haste, they got him into bed. <laughs> but, but the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Wherefore, instead of sleeping, he spent, his, uh, he spent the night in sighs and tears. So when the morning was come, they, uh, they would know how he did. And he told them worse and worse. Uh, he also set to talking to them again. But they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his dis- distemper by harsh and surly uh, carriages to him. Sometimes they would deride him. Sometimes they would chide him. Sometimes they would uh, quite neglect him. Wherefore, he began to retire himself to his chamber uh, to pray for and pity them. And also to condole his own misery he would also walk solitary in the field, sometimes reading, sometimes praying, and thus for some days he spent his time. Within, this, within his allegory, Bunyan uh, captures the, the common experience of, of true believers. It, it might not be the experience so much of American Christians all the time, nor of those who have been raised in the fellowship of those who are out of their minds. But, but this is surely the experience of many who have come to grips with the reality of the impending judgment and those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are out of their mind. So says the world to believe such things. Is not the world before us, people ask? Are we not made to serve our own pleasures? Uh, is, is it not a reasonable thing for those who are uh, only on this world for a short time to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die? If it feels good, do it. If it works for you, employ it. Uh, if it serves your ends and goals, then why torture yourself? Why, why do we torture ourselves with a, a stilted morality and, uh, and a... And a uh, and, and such a dire system of ethics. So, so says the world. So, such are the questions that the world would ask us. But more than the testimony of an allegory, we have the example of the apostles. In Acts twenty-six, the uh, apostle Paul is defending himself. Uh, Acts twenty-six, uh, the apostle Paul is defending himself before King Agrippa and Festus. Uh, but at the mention of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you, you see how the world sees us that we're out of our minds? We believe that a man rose again from the dead. So when Paul mentioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Festus interrupts him. 
figuring, you know, this is a crazy man in my presence. You know, I'm not going to listen anymore to this. And he says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And when Paul heard that uh, some in the Corinthian church had accused him in the same way, he writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13, If we are out of our mind, (laughs) it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised to life. This is the very message that Paul had previously referred to as foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 and following, he writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He's not exaggerating. This is the way the world will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, except that by the Holy Spirit they be given to to see its truth. And and the hope that, that, that comes to the sinner by way of faith in these great things. The message of the cross is otherwise foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The message of God's word, both law and gospel, both the conviction of sin and the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ, the message of God's word is seen as foolishness. And so it's not up to us to tailor the message to make it seem less foolish. Instead, of it's up to us to understand that the, the message itself is the very power of God. It is the power of God to change the the heart of stubborn rebellion and and unbelief into a heart of faith and obedience. The word of God itself is is the power of God to build his church, to create a people holy unto himself in Jesus Christ. The word of God itself, in all its glorious foolishness, we might say, The word of God itself is the very power of God to make us brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The striking striking thing, again, is is that it's Jesus' own family that, that brings this accusation against Jesus. He is out of his mind, they said, as they set out to seize him, to take charge of him. They were his family, after all. Who, who else would take care of him if, if not them? Who else would care for him if he's not going to take care of himself? But when they came to him and sent someone to call him, Jesus responded by asking, Who are my mother and my brothers? And as he looked around him, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. It's really a, a strong statement. It's one you can't, you can't ignore, you can't deny it. Uh, I remember seeing a, a movie 
some time ago. I don't recommend movies that portray Christ, <laughs> but I remember seeing a movie uh, some years ago in which this scene and, and Jesus' words were, were followed up with another scene, not in the Bible, <laughs> uh, which is the problem so often with depictions, uh, um, uh, 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 depictions in a movie of, of Christ, but another scene showing Jesus breaking away from the crowd and finding his mother, Mary, to affirm or reaffirm his love for her. Um, it's, such a, it's such a strong statement from Jesus that it, it's hard for us not maybe to speculate uh, such a scene, but uh, we don't have to speculate because we know that Jesus acknowledged his mother even from the cross and uh, provided for her care through John, his beloved disciple. And uh, we also know that at least one of his brothers did come to follow him. Uh, instead of accusing him of being out of his mind, James, the brother of Jesus, was brought to confess his own brother, biological brother, as uh, the Son of God and as his own Savior. So it's not that Jesus was you know, frat, uh, flatly rejecting his family, and it's certainly not a call for us to reject our families even if they do not share our faith. But it is a clear call to take our values, our priorities, our perspectives on what is most important from no one other than God himself. And it is the clear call from God to find a deep fellowship within uh, the family of believers in Jesus Christ. Look around yourself even now. Uh, when, we, when we finish, shake hands with each other and know that you're, you're shaking hands or you're exchanging hugs with your brother, your sister in Christ. Here is the family of God in Jesus Christ. But also understand that here is the fellowship of foolishness. That would have been a good title for this sermon, The Fellowship of Foolishness, because that's what we are. That's what we have. That's what we enjoy. But what the world sees as foolish is the very gospel that we have believed together. Understand that this is the fellowship of foolishness. We are, we are fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are also fellow fools of God for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of the message of God's Word. And so I'll end with this quote from uh, an old hymn that says, uh, let, the world despise, uh, let the world despise and leave me, they have left my Savior too. Uh, human hearts and looks deceive me, thou art not like man untrue. And while thou shalt smile upon me, God of wisdom, love and might, foes may hate, and friends may shun me, show thy face, and all is bright. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge the scorn that you endured. 
we acknowledge the unbelief that um, uh, brought you to the cross, and we would share in that amazingly because by your spirit you have brought us to faith in you and uh, by that faith to the salvation that you provided even as you uh, did not care about the scorn of the world but continued to uh, to to go upon uh, your foolish way in order to do your father's will we thank you for your faithfulness and pray that you would work within us uh, faithfulness as well, that we would be faithful to you and that we would uh, stand against the world and that even by our stand against the world, so many in the world would yet come to believe and to receive and uh, receive your salvation and to know you as, as their Savior as well. Bless us in this O oh Lord, fill us with your spirit, and we thank you for your, uh, your faithfulness and, uh, and your care for each of us uh, day by day. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.